following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Well, good evening. I invite you to turn to Ruth chapter 2. Our time is quickly waning this evening, so we'll jump right in. And uh, if you remember last time, we we focused our attention on chapter 2, verses 1 through 16 primarily. And uh, in those first 16 and, or 17 verses, really, we saw that Ruth was shown favor by Boaz. Favor by Boaz. Have, after happening, happening, we could put in quotes, upon his field. Of course, though we said some might chalk this up to mere coincidence, the major theme of the book, which is God's preservation of the Davidic line, proves to us this occurrence is providential. In chapter 2, verse 1, Ruth sought Naomi's permission to gather grain in the fields, and she also expresses her hope of finding someone who will look favorably upon her, favorably upon her in doing so. Now, in the Old Testament law, we see that there is made a permission, or rather prescribed, uh, a provision for the needy in the law. In Leviticus chapter 19, we looked at that, where the needy, or those who uh, were destitute, could go behind the harvesters and glean the grain after them, the leftovers, so to speak, that at the corners of the field, or perhaps a grain that fell from, from the, uh, the wagon, or whatever they used to carry the grain, loaded upon. And so Ruth thought it necessary to go out into the fields like those, herself being a needy one and her mother-in-law, and and gather grain in that fashion. Ruth's hope of finding favor was answered when we saw in in chapter 2, Boaz meets her in the field. And we saw there that Boaz treats her in a remarkable fashion, not the kind of fashion we might expect of just some stranger some poor destitute soul who happens in a field and, and stays the time there gleaning grain but never really meeting the owner, never really being treated that favorably, just going about their business. But that's not how Ruth is treated. We see Boaz treats her again with a remarkable fashion, demonstrating undeserved grace towards her in both his words and his actions. Boaz advises Ruth, we saw there, strongly to continue to glean in his field where she will be protected. He treats her kindly as one of his own maidservants. He provides nourishment for her at the mealtime and instructs the harvesters to let her gather among the sheaves and to also leave some of the stalks of grain to the side for her to gather from as well. This is not the kind of normal behavior from a land owner or a harvester. This is extraordinary, demonstrating great favor and kindness, an answer to Ruth's own uh, desire that we saw in verse 1, that she would find favor in someone's sight, that, that hope, that prayer is answered, we see, saw there in the first 17 verses. Now, in the following verses, beginning in verse 17 of chapter 2, the story develops in an unforeseeable manner. We'll see in the following passage, we'll look at verse 17 
to the end of the chapter and then hopefully into verse 5 of chapter 3. And in these verses, we see that twice Naomi advises Ruth and twice Ruth follows her instruction. Ruth rarely speaks in these following verses, we'll find out. But in both instances where she responds, where those responses are recorded, it further demonstrates Ruth's submissive spirit and allegiance to her mother-in-law as she follows her advice. And we'll see that Naomi's advice is not self-serving. Rather, it is sacrificial. Look with me at verse 17, and I'll read to the end of the chapter. It says in verse 17, So she gleaned in the field until evening, and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw that what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today, and where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Ruth the Moabite said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to her, said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Now, beginning in verse 17, we see that Ruth threshes out the grain she has gathered in Boaz's field up until that time of the day, until the evening as the story uh, is recorded in those first 16 verses. And she takes it to the city at the end of the day, a very good day for her. Now, the amount that she gathered is of somewhat interest. It's an, an ephah, which was a dry measurement that is comparable to about two-thirds of a bushel of grain. That is approximately about 32 pounds of barley. So this is no just uh, one week's worth of food that Boaz has allowed her to gather. This is a substantial amount of grain. This isn't just an ordinary amount of grain to be gathered in one day by someone merely gleaning from the corners of a field. Rather, this is a, a drastic amount. And Naomi's response to what she saw in the arms or on the back of Ruth as she carried it confirms this very fact. As she says in verse 19, blessed be the man who took notice of you. She, that is Naomi, recognizes again that this is no ordinary amount. Someone has surely taken notice of Ruth and shown favor upon her. Now in verses 20 through 22, we see the first of two times that Naomi advises Ruth. Look there in verse 20. It says, Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. 
Upon learning that Boaz was the man who took notice of Ruth, we see Naomi expresses her desire for God's blessing upon this man, upon Boaz, for dealing with Ruth favorably. And furthermore, we see that Naomi recognizes that God's kindness is still present upon them. Now, some believe that Naomi is referring to the kindness that Boaz has shown, but it is more likely, I think, that she is referencing God's covenant grace upon the living and the dead. That is to say that when she says, blessed be he of the Lord, that is, he's, she's speaking of, of Boaz there, but then when she says, who has not forsaken his kindness, perhaps in your Bible, his is, H is capitalized, referring then to the Lord. That's the way in which the translators have taken this, and that's the same in which I take it, that uh, Naomi is recognizing that God has once again shown kindness and favor upon them. Now, it is kind of a peculiar statement, but it is best understood, that is, the reference to the living and the dead, to be a collective reference to Naomi's family, her whole family, living, the living, that being Naomi and Ruth, but also the dead, that is, her husband, who has, is deceased, and also her two sons. And, and though they are not reaping the, the immediate benefit of, of the grain, in the way that God has blessed them and shown his kindness once again upon them. Still, uh, collectively speaking, Naomi is recognizing God's unmeasurable kindness upon them in this occurrence, in this, in this way. Now, this is in contrast to chapter 1, if you remember then, where Naomi believed that God was dealing harshly with her family that God had acted bitterly towards her, as we saw in chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. However, here we see that her faith is rekindled. Her faith in God's covenant grace has been rekindled, and she attributes the source of Boaz's kindness to God. In Naomi's eyes, Ruth's coming upon the field of Boaz was a demonstration of not just Boaz's grace and favor, but also God's unmeasurable grace and favor upon Naomi and her family. Now, Naomi confirms in verse 21 that what we are told uh, concerning Boaz in verse 1 about the relationship between Naomi and Boaz. She, in verse, at the end of verse 20, excuse me, she says, this, is, this man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives, now, uh, if you have the ESV or maybe another similar kind of translation, the end of verse 20 reads this, He is one of our redeemers. He is one of our redeemers. You might wonder about this word and what exactly it means. Well, the first of the, of the relationships that she says, she says this man is a relation of ours, that refers to the relationship, the, the familial relationship, the blood relationship, while the second kind of uh, qualifier there, whether yours reads close relative or redeemer, that connotes the role that Boaz could play in Naomi and Ruth's life, which we'll expound upon in just a moment here. 
So the first, that is, refers to the, the blood kind of relationship. He's a close relative of ours. And the second, the idea of being a redeemer, has to do with the role that Boaz could fulfill in their lives. And in this context, the word redeemer is functioning as a technical legal term related specifically to Israelite family law. As a kind of kinship term, it denotes the near relative who is responsible for the economic well-being of a relative. And he comes into play especially when the relative is in distress and cannot get himself or herself out of that uh, critical or situation or crisis that they're in. And so what Naomi is doing is recognizing that they themselves are in some kind of critical or some kind of crisis and that Boaz could play the role of redeemer in their situation in a kinship kind of fashion. Now, according to what we know from Scripture, there are five aspects to this redemptive role, this kinship redeemer role that we can find in Scripture The first uh, is in Leviticus chapter 25, and we won't turn there now, but the idea there or the role that uh, is being explained there is that this redeemer is to ensure that the hereditary property of the clan never passes out of the clan. That is to say that it stays within that clan, that family. And if you remember, Boaz is of the same clan as who? Elimelech, Naomi's uh, prior husband who is now deceased. And so that's the first kind of aspect in this role that is the purpose of this role. Another purpose is to maintain the freedom of individuals within the clan by buying back those who have sold themselves into slavery because of poverty. And we see this in Leviticus chapter 27. Now, that's not necessarily the case of Naomi and Ruth here. They haven't, uh, as far as we can see from this book, enslaved themselves or sold themselves into slavery because of their poverty. Now, we could surmise that perhaps that could come to that extent if they didn't have the provision that they needed to provide for their daily needs. But at this case, at this time in the case, it isn't the situation. The third role that this Redeemer plays is to track down and execute murderers of near relatives. And we find this in Numbers chapter 35, verse 12 and 19 to 27. Again, this isn't the case with Naomi and Ruth, but it is one, of, at one aspect of the role that this Redeemer would play. Number four is to receive restitution money on behalf of a deceased victim of a crime. We see this in Numbers chapter 5, verse 8. And then finally, number five, they are to ensure that justice is served in a lawsuit involving a relative. And we see this in Job chapter 19 and Jeremiah chapter 50. Now, not all of these aspects pertain to Naomi and Ruth's specific situation, but we could say that at least the first applies, if not, uh, if not the others in some sense or another. Let me remind you the first one, that is to ensure that the hereditary property of the clan never passes out of the clan. And we, we can assume that there was some kind of property ownership uh, of Elimelech before he went to Moab with his family. And uh, perhaps uh, he sold that property to some other Israelite uh, in the land. 
in order to finance his trip to Moab to pay for the needs along the way and to also uh, perhaps buy property once he, once he uh, arrived in Moab to uh, plant crops and to feed his family and to buy food along the way. And so uh, in this case, uh, this redeemer could redeem that land. He could buy back that land that was supposed to be within the clan of, of Elimelech and, uh, and Boaz. And so whoever chose or whoever redeemed Naomi and Ruth would also be responsible to redeem that land as well and buy it back so that it stayed within the clan. Now, interestingly, in none of these aspects that we just spoke about related to the Redeemer's role, is there any reference to marrying the widow of the deceased person? However, it could be assumed that in addition to these functions of the Redeemer, the kinsman-redeemer also comes into play in the case of a widow whose husband has died without an offspring. And this then would relate to the kind of Leverite marriage that is spoken about in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses, verse 5. Let me just read that for you. You're welcome to turn there as well. But in Deuteronomy chapter 25, we'll get kind of a, an understanding. Perhaps uh, you know somewhat about this, this practice, this custom. But let's familiarize ourselves with it just for a moment once again. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 25, beginning in verse 5, it says, If brothers dwell together, and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as his wife, and to perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn which she bears will succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. So the idea here is that if, uh, if there is a man who passes away, leaving his wife as a widow, the younger, a younger brother, uh, or a, any, I guess, of the brothers, should go in and she, he should marry her. Now, this, this isn't uh, implying the fact that if there is a brother who is married and has his own kids, that he should take her as a wife. No, that's not the case. Uh, uh, he should be only a husband of one wife in that sense. But if there is an unmarried brother, uh, he is then to take up that responsibility and to take her in marriage and to allow the offspring to go on in that prior husband's name and uh, so that the, that name should not be blotted out of Israel. Now, in verse 7, it says, But if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. And then it goes on to uh, explain a little bit more. It says, Then the elders of his city shall call upon him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot, spit on his face and answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him who has had his sandal removed. And so it would be a shameful thing uh, for a brother of the deceased one to not take up this responsibility because it is a, a very important matter to keep this name 
uh, within, uh, within Israel and to allow it to carry on, to go forth. And uh, we see uh, in, this, in this society, it is very important for a son to be born and to carry that name on. And so to refuse to carry up that role or to fulfill that role is a very shameful uh, and, and dishonorable thing. Now, as that relates, you may wonder, how does that relate to Ruth and her situation? Um, is it a Leverite kind of marriage proposal that we're considering here? Uh, and and uh, it doesn't quite seem to be that way because, again, uh, when we think of kinsman redeemer in the passages that we referenced in the, in the role aspects of that kinsman redeemer, there's no mention of marriage but I think we can, uh, I think that we can quite adequately and, and correctly say that the relationship between this custom, that is Leverite marriage, and the custom here in Ruth chapter 2 that's being expressed about kinsman redeemer are quite neatly tied together. So that uh, with the one, that is the kinsman redeemer, comes the other if the need be, you know, if there's a need for a Leverite kind of marriage to take place. Now, uh, it's a little bit uh, unique situation here because Boaz, uh, you know, doesn't seem to necessarily be the younger brother or a brother of Elimelech. It's just that he is a close relative, a close relationship. And so it's kind of a unique kind of Leverite marriage that we'll see unfold here. Now, in verse 23 of Ruth chapter 2, we see uh, further uh, advice that Naomi gives to Ruth in verses 22 and 23. It says in verse 22, And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, and that people do not meet you in another field. Now, uh, the first set of advice that Naomi gives Ruth is in regard to Ruth informing her of Boaz's offer to continue to glean in his field. And though no doubt Naomi has already begun to hope that Boaz will take up his role as kinsman redeemer, she does not make any more mention of it at this time, we see here. Rather, Naomi's advice demonstrates her concern for the safety and protection of her daughter-in-law. She desires that Ruth continue to glean in the field and stay close to those young women, those maid servants of Boaz, and to not go into any other field the same way in which Boaz instructed Ruth as well. We saw last time. And there here in verse 23, we see the fitting response of Ruth. And it says in verse 23, so she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. There is no verbal response from Ruth here. The only thing we are told is that she followed the advice and stayed with Boaz's maidservants. And this demonstrates the kind of submissive and virtuous character that Ruth had. Her mother-in-law gave sound, wise advice, and she willingly submitted to that advice and followed through with it. The kind of virtuous character that Ruth demonstrates here is only expounded upon and, and, and bolstered as we see in the rest of the book of Ruth as well and as we'll look at in the future times. 
Now, we don't have time uh, to carry on to the rest of uh, the second kind of advice that Ruth, that Naomi gives to Ruth in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, but let me just kind of uh, uh, spurn your interest to this. In verse uh, 1 of chapter 3, it says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that, I may be, that it may be well with you? Verse 2, now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not a relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go in, uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what you should do. Verse 5, And she said to her, that is Ruth to Naomi, All that you say to me, I will do. Now, I'll just say this before we close. In light of the closing verses of chapter 2, one may speculate that Naomi hoped Boaz would take the initiative in establishing a relationship with Ruth that was more personal than that of just a landowner, and in a, we could say maybe an adopted servant, as Ruth was to him. Rather, it would be something that was more established and would eventually lead to marriage. However, perhaps Ruth had similar hopes as well. But the absence of any forward move on Ruth's part demonstrates her submissiveness in honorable and virtuous character. She was waiting for Boaz to make a move. Boaz himself may have been interested in Ruth in in a more uh, kind of personal way. But perhaps he was being sensitive towards Ruth as a widow, someone who at least recently lost her husband, and not wishing to impose himself upon her until she was emotionally healed and ready to contemplate remarriage. However, furthermore, maybe more prominently, Boaz may have been apprehensive to make any kind of move because he was waiting upon the closer relative that he makes mention of in verse 12 of chapter 3 to take initiative. Whatever the case may be, we see that although Naomi, or excuse me, though Ruth makes no move and Boaz has made no move, the mother-in-law steps in and uh, takes a course of action that is both still honorable to Boaz not overstepping any kind of boundary, but pushes Ruth to take action in a kind of virtuous and submissive manner that is not uh, forward in any kind of uh, demeaning way towards Boaz or overstepping any kind of boundaries that would not be uh, of good nature and of good character or correlate well with the kind of character that we know of Ruth. But we'll look at more of that next time. We're out of time now, but let me close in prayer this evening. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for the word. Lord, your word. These aren't, uh, I pray, just my mere babblings, but these, Lord, words, have they, have they been contemplated tonight? We pray that, as Pastor prayed earlier, that your spirit would use them to cause us to consider more how you have providentially worked through history Lord, how you have worked to preserve the line of David. Lord, how you have used 
righteous men and women. You have used righteous Israelite men like Boaz, and you have often and also used the stranger like Ruth, a Moabitess, drawing her under your wings and using her to preserve the line which would eventually, we know, produce the Savior who himself showed great favor and kindness upon the stranger, upon the destitute, upon the spiritual destitute ones, upon those who are, of, who are poor in spirit, as our pastor has reminded us from Matthew chapter 5. Lord, we thank you for that favor you have shown upon us through your Savior, through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, bless now our time this evening as we go in the fellowship that we have with one another. Lord, may you bless and show favor upon each one of these and reward them, Lord, for all that they do for your name's sake. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us online. And for those who are here in person, may the Lord bless you this evening. And uh, we look forward to gathering with you once again on Sunday to worship together. Amen.